Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Let's, uh, let's head down to Gainesville. It's been a little bit cold in Tennessee. Let's uh, let's go for some warmer weather. Thomas Goldcamp joins us now. Gators 247. Thomas, first of all, we've done Zoom with a lot of people. It looks like you're in a racing simulator. So have you joined like the NASCAR e-racing <laughs> circuit? That's, that's a fantastic yeah. setup. Blaine was yeah, completely no. blown away when you got on. <laughs> that's sweet, man. It's all about the lumbar support, man. I got to tell you. Oh, I need that too, man. I think that's why I'm having trouble with my back. <laughs> yeah, this I, I'm literally sitting in my bedroom in a chair my grandmother gave me with a TV tray as a desk. So I'm very envious of your setup. Um, oh, man, I love your jokes there, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, some people kind of look at this game Saturday as a joke. Man, this is this is two teams that have a great rivalry. Vols fans love to beat Florida. They love this week. They love the hate of this week. I'm sure Florida fans have some level of hatred they like to throw back. But I don't even know if anybody's fired up about this thing. And it doesn't seem to be on too many people's radar. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I was talking to Wes Rucker over at our 24-7 site for the Tennessee Tennessee guys. And, and he kind of made the point that it, it really just doesn't have the buildup that it typically has. And I think, you know, when you look at Florida winning 14 in the last 15 uh, even some of Florida's players said this this just doesn't feel like a competitive rivalry anymore. I mean, uh, I think it's kind of on Tennessee at this point to to bring some life back into it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I picked the Gators to win the East before the season. Certainly looks like Dan Mullen is, is primed to do that in, in year three. I mean, I think so. I You know, I went back and forth myself a good bit. Uh, you know, Georgia, obviously, I thought. Had more talent than Florida on paper. I thought the the lines of scrimmage were were an area that maybe Georgia could take advantage of Florida. But then on the flip side, you know, Florida came in with a veteran quarterback, you know, a guy in Dan Mullen who knows how to use him. And obviously in a season that's been affected by the pandemic a lot with loss of practices and all that, you know, you could make a pretty good case for Florida too. So, you know, I think, you know, Florida's obviously showed up and, and won in the games that they needed to. And now they're in a position to go out and clinch the East on Saturday. Well, and it looks like the SEC is not going to scrap any games along the way. They got to win every game they got to win to get there. Yeah, you know, and I, I like that. You know, go out and play them all. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thomas Goldcamp, our guest, Gators 24-7. Well, let's add to that because the ACC, talking about play all the games, or I guess canceling some of their games, or maybe because of COVID and rescheduling everything else. And So will that give them somewhat of a, an advantage to get more teams into the Final Four with the way the situation it was only three weeks really left in a season? You know, I don't know. Um, I've kind of gone back and forth on that. I, you know, I, I think from a competitive standpoint, if you're Florida and Alabama, you'd probably like a week off before the SEC yeah. title game just to yeah. prepare. And I think from that standpoint, you know, the ACC doing what it did probably helps, you know, Notre Dame, Clemson probably stay in that mix. But, you know, I don't know that, you know, either Florida or Alabama are really going to be tested against LSU and Arkansas. So probably not that big of a deal. Right. No, no question about it, but there's always a risk of injury. And that's every game. Every time you step on the football field, you don't want to lose a great player. Um, interesting. And I, I think Pruitt has been three years, just like Mullen. What has been the key to Dan Mullen's success there at Florida with just a quick start early in his first season doing really well? I think maybe won nine or 10 games or so. And then continuing on that now, uh, I mean, presumably if he wins this game, it'll be in the uh, SEC championship. Well, I think a couple things stand out to me. I think first off, he's been really, really good in the transfer portal and they've, they've been able to get guys that have come in and made a big impact. You look at Jonathan Grenard, uh, some of the other guys, the receivers, Van Jefferson, Trayvon Grimes, that they've really been able to shore up areas of weakness on the roster. And then I think the other thing that really made a difference when Dan Mullen first came in is he brought in a staff that he was very, very familiar with, you know, guys that he's worked with for a long, long time at Mississippi state and elsewhere. 
And they just really had a good vision for what they wanted the program to be. I think they were very good communicating that vision to their players. And I think you're able to see that in just the level of consistency that Florida's had. You know, Dan Mullen has really elevated what the floor at Florida is. And I think you're starting to see that where basically Florida's going to win eight, nine, 10 games pretty much every year under Dan Mullen because they've established kind of the baseline of where the program is. And I think the players have done a good job of kind of buying into that. No doubt about it. Outstanding. Now you have two guys that's really up for the Heisman here in trash and uh, Pitt. What's the name? First name is Kyle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I just not realized that. And so, uh, man, do you think this helps or hurt? Or is, uh, you know, the quarterback really always in an advantage, uh, regardless of who else is having success on your team and, and doing really well ends up for the Heisman as well? And how much are they marketing them, those guys, too? I don't think they have to, really. No, they really haven't. And then they've kind of let the play do the talking. You know, obviously the numbers that Kyle Trask is putting up are, are ridiculous. And it's mm -hmm. funny, you talk to Florida fans and you, you, you have the argument, who's the best player? I would say it's Kyle Pitts. When you look at, you know, what he's able to do relative to his position group, I haven't seen a tight end that's a, a matchup nightmare like him in several, several years. Um, but then on the flip side, who's more important to the team? I think it's obviously Kyle Trask. You know, you can't lose that guy. And um, I, I don't know that Kyle Pitts being a tight end is going to be enough to siphon votes off of Kyle Trask. Um, but, you know, it, for Florida fans, man, it's been a long time to have somebody at that quarterback position that you can talk about like that. Well, with Thomas uh, Goldkamp, uh, with Gators 24-7. Uh, and Thomas, the story about Kyle Trask, he's just kind of a guy on the roster, what, who didn't start in high school. And, and, and now, and unless this kind of train goes off the track, I, the last time I looked, he was the odds-on Heisman favorite. This dude is an amazing story. Yeah, it's fantastic, you know, and it's funny because he's such a kind of low-key, humble guy that he doesn't really talk about it a whole lot. And, uh, you know, it's funny, every now and then you'll get a hint of, man, I'm kind of tired of talking about this story, like, you know, but... But I mean, it is, it's remarkable. The guy was a three-star prospect in high school, you know, hadn't started a game since his freshman year, was the backup to Derek King, who's now at Miami, obviously, and playing really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, in today's day and age, you just don't see quarterbacks that come in like this and don't transfer after a couple of years. And, right. you know, for him to do what he's done, I think, you know, the, the thing that impresses me most about him is just his ability to process the game. He really is able to read what the defense is doing pre-snap. And then even after the snap, kind of see, you know, whether or not it's what he expected and go through his progressions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a fantastic story. You know, I, it, it would surprise me if ESPN doesn't do something on college game day at him, you know, at some point just to, you know, I mean, it, it's just a remarkable story. Well, then Blaine started talking about Kadarius Tony yesterday on the show. We got all fired up. We've decided we want him to be a Titan. So, you know, tell us about this future Titan Kadarius Tony, because we've already <laughs> got him. We, we drafted him yesterday. <laughs> so, just so you know. Yeah, he's a heck of a player, man. It, and it's funny, the way Florida's offense is built, they just have so many weapons. I mean, you know, some teams have tried to take away Kyle Pitts, and then Kadarius Toney goes off for a big game. Last week, Kentucky actually opted to kind of double, you know, Kadarius Toney most of the game, and Kyle Pitts turns in a three-touchdown performance. But uh, Kadarius Toney's a guy that, you know, he came in as a quarterback and really had to develop as a receiver. And because of injuries, you know, we never really got to see him kind of fully break out until this year. He was limited a little bit last year with an ankle sprain. Um, but he's really developed into an all-around receiver. The thing that stands out the most to me is he is incredibly tough to bring down. I mean, for a guy that's kind of got a wiry build, he almost never goes down on first contact. And, you know, given his ability to kind of bend like a rubber band, uh, you know, anytime he breaks a tackle, he's got a chance to, to take it the distance. So definitely one of the most fun players I've watched. His speed, though, is not just ridiculous, though, right? He, he's, not, he's not just a burner, is he? No, I don't think so. I mean, he, he can run away in the open field, but, you know, he's not the guy that's going to, you know, create 10 yards of separation as he does it. 
Uh, I think his his calling card is definitely more his elasticity, you know, his kind of ability to cut on a dime in some ridiculous angles. And, and that's what you see is really tough to defend. Guys just aren't used to him cutting and bending the way that he does. <laughs> don't hear the word elasticity on the show every day. Thomas Goldcamp just straight up bringing the dictionary and the Gators knowledge from 247. Yeah, he elasticity it makes people miss. That's what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. That's why I like him, man. He, those guys, you can't catch them in a phone booth, man. Out there, they exist anymore. I know, right? But uh, Thomas, man, I have to ask you. Defensively, Florida seems like they've gotten a little bit better here over the last couple of weeks. Kind of break us down what their issues are, and especially against the run, they've been a little. I guess, bad here leading up uh, to this game. I'm sure Tennessee is going to try to run the football. So kind of, you know, tell us a little bit about what they've done better and what they look like uh, if they're trying to uh, get to the promised land and win the SEC. Well, I think the biggest problem for Florida is they don't always get lined up and get set, you know, and I haven't watched a ton of Tennessee, but if you're able to get some tempo going, Florida tends to struggle getting the call in and getting set up in time. And you're able to kind of get them out of gaps, uh, so to speak, in the run game. So I think that's kind of been the biggest issue. I do think Florida's defensive front has played a little bit better in recent weeks. Now, it's hard to, it's hard to say for sure because they've played some teams that aren't as great. Um, but I do think Eric Gray, you know, that Tennessee offensive line will have a chance to create some seams. And, you know, that's really the, that's the blueprint to beating Florida. You've got to shorten the game. You know, you can't allow Florida's offense to have, you know, 12 plus possessions in the game because they're going to score more than you can. I mean, that's, that's just kind of what they do. So I, I think if you're Tennessee, if you can run some up-tempo looks, you know, you pick up a first down, get up and snap it quick. You know, that's that's kind of what Florida struggled with. Well, you're with 24-7. I guess, uh, what is their expectations uh, on the 16th, I think, is the date. They didn't change it, I don't think. But uh, as far as the 2021 class, and uh, I'm sure they didn't have any defections. But, uh, yeah, what does it look like so far and how many commits are, are solid? Uh, I think most of them for Florida, you know, they, they have a couple guys that they may ask to wait uh, to sign a little bit and, and, and try to see what they can do uh, with some other guys. But Florida's class, for the most part, is pretty full right now. They're really only looking at about one to two spots open. So from a drama standpoint, it'll it'll probably be pretty low key for Florida. Okay. One of the things people are wondering about in every program is who's going to stay an extra year. Do you guys have any clue on that? Because that's part of the puzzle of okay, we'll recruit these guys, but who wants to stay an extra year? Yeah, you know, we don't have a firm sense on that yet. I'm sure it's something that, you know, as we get closer to the end of the season, we'll, we'll point blank ask some guys, you know, Kyle Trask, those kind of guys. Um, I, I would expect the guys that are putting up numbers like Trask and Pitts, those guys are probably gone. Uh, you know, even a Trayvon Grimes, I wouldn't expect him back. Um, but it, it will be interesting because you, you have the potential for some teams, you know, if, if coaches can sell their guys on, hey, we're real close you may end up having some teams that come back with a lot more veterans than some of these other teams that are having more success. You guys have any shot of the decommit from Tennessee? I don't know if a lot of people say Miami is a lot of big interest there with uh, what's his name? Uh, Terrence uh, Lewis linebacker. I think, I think Florida's keeping him warm. Last I checked, I don't, I don't really cover recruiting myself, but uh, mm -hmm. I think they're keeping him warm, but I, I don't know that he's a, you know, a high priority guy for them at the moment. And lastly, for me, real quick, is how's their COVID situation? I know they had a, a big, huge breakout earlier in the season, but are they back to full capacity as far as all the players, or they still have some out there that uh, are still in the COVID protocol? Yeah, so Florida puts out a COVID update every Tuesday, and as of Tuesday, they didn't have any positives in the last week. Um, last week, I think they only had like six scholarship guys missing for injury or COVID, so Florida really coming into this game is pretty close to full strength as much as they've been all year. Uh, we're on with Thomas Goldcamp, Gators 24-7. So, uh, obviously, Kyle, 
uh, Trask has been one of the biggest, best stories in college football, a, a quarterback, a veteran quarterback in the SEC. Meanwhile, what since halftime of the Georgia game, Jarrett Garantano on the flip side has scored more points for the opponent than he actually has for the Vols. Can you believe how much this guy has struggled? He's a tough kid. And we all know that. But can you believe how much he struggled this year? It's a little hard to believe, you know, I, I don't know exactly what Tennessee's situation is as far as development and, you know, covering Florida, that's one of the things that really stands out is how well they develop quarterbacks, um, really kind of building their confidence. I think, you know, from from my view from afar, I think Garantano had kind of a tough go of it just because he never really was able to establish confidence as a younger player. And I think, you know, as a quarterback, that kind of, it snowballs on you. And, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what Tennessee's situation is offensively, but it is a little bit surprising that a guy with some of his tools, you know, hasn't had a little bit more success. Um, wanted to ask you this just because you cover the league and I'm curious just to hear your thoughts. Obviously, Vandy's already made the decision. They joined South Carolina as teams who've gone ahead and cut their coach loose during the uh, during the season. Put on your your AD hat for a minute. You've seen the situation at Vandy. You obviously know them because you cover the SEC. What in the world would you do, Thomas? I don't know, man. That's such a tough job to win at. Um, you know, you get the the high academic standards that make it tougher to get some of these other kids in that that maybe other programs in the league might get in. I, I think if you're Vandy, you've got to try to catch lightning in a bottle like you did with James Franklin. You know, um, I, I tend to lean offensive coach. I think it's easier for an offensive coach to kind of continue having success in the league. You know, when you're a defensive minded coach, even if you get a great offensive coordinator, they tend to jump to other jobs pretty quickly. So if I'm Vanderbilt and looking at it, I think you go after a young, innovative offensive coach and, and kind of hope that you can, you know, get, get lucky those first couple of years and, and recruit your butt off. And, you know, it's just it, that's a tough job, man. <laughs> I, I said for years, hey, man, maybe you just throw a bunch of money at a guy like Kenny Niamatololo at Navy or now Munkin from Army. who Munkin's name is actually getting mentioned by that. That's a hot name here in, in, in town. But maybe you just try to run something just that people would legit have to prepare for, you know, something that they don't see every week. Yeah. I don't hate that. I mean, it worked for Georgia tech for, for a good while with, you know, Paul Johnson. So, Hey, get in there, run the triple option. I don't hate it. Thomas, good ask stuff, me real man. quick. Yeah. No, I want to ask you one thing. You know, I play with a lot of Florida guys, man, and they just see a flurry rain or under anything under 50 they go like, hey, man, it's freaking cold as you know what outside, man. So what happens to those Florida guys when they get right at cold? Well, I hope it's like 35. I think it's supposed to be like almost 50, though. But <laughs> what happens? They can't, just, they can't do it? Dude, I'm telling you, man, it's a different it's a different part of the world down here. It's, you know, we're used to the humidity, 90 degrees. I mean, shoot, it's like 78 outside right now. So. Oh. <laughs> oh, my, man, with palm trees and everything else. Well. Hopefully it'll rain on their parade because if not, I don't know. It's not going to be a good day for UT. <laughs> hey, on the way out, since college basketball season's underway and we got you, uh, how good is Florida in basketball? What does their uh, season expectation look like this year? That is a really good question. I think you would get <laughs> a lot of different answers from Florida fans. Um, you know, Florida's going into year six under Coach Mike White. I think there's significant questions about, you know, his coaching ability. Florida just hasn't really had an identity since he's been the coach. You know, he came in from Louisiana Tech, and they wanted to run really up-tempo, fast offense. The last couple of years with point guard Andrew Nemhard, they've been a slow, plodding half-court team, so the pace hasn't really been there. 
fans have really not understood what they're trying to do. And frankly, you know, even as a reporter, I'm not sure what they're trying to do sometimes. So they are going to try to run a little bit more up-tempo this year. They have a lot of parts, you know, they've got some really athletic guys, but it's going to be interesting to see if he can put it all together. I mean, I, I go back to your six years in and they, they still don't have a clear identity. To me, that's a little bit of an issue as far as expectations go. I mean, look, Florida fans haven't backed down from the Billy Donovan years. They want to get into the NCAA tournament every year. They want to be in the sweet 16 more often than not. And I would say right now, looking at this team, you know, they're early on, but I have a lot of question marks about whether or not they can do that. Thomas, good stuff, man. We, you probably got to run Talladega here in a couple of minutes in the simulator <laughs> of yours. If you're just joining us, by the way, he has the greatest Zoom setup that uh, Blaine and I have ever seen. He looks very, very comfortable and has lots of lumbar support in his chair. So uh, you can uh, read him at uh, Gators 24-7, uh, Thomas Goldcamp. Man, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, guys. Hey, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, nice beard. Appreciate it. <laughs> he does have the nice beard uh, for sure. He absolutely does. Uh, Blaine, you were asking me this. You saw tickets this morning on some of the secondary websites for the Vols in, in like the 60s, $60. Yeah. And then JT sent us another one, uh, and, and tickets were in the 50s. 50. Uh, what do they normally we were, go for? hundred? See, I, I don't know. It, David Reed sent me – he had bought his lovely wife some, some lower-level tickets. I guess he saw that I posted. I posted something on Facebook and said, hey, I'm asking my Vols fans, what would you typically pay for these tickets? Because – there aren't even that many tickets available, and fifty and sixty dollars seems pretty cheap. Uh, and even some of the lower level tickets were going. I, I saw some in the one hundreds, and then some in the low two hundreds. And trust me, David Reed had sent me a like a screen cap of his receipt, and he paid a heck of a lot more than that uh, for a Tennessee Florida game. We we're kind of tossing around some questions. If you're a Vols fan, you can tweet us at B Bishop twenty three at Mickey Ride one zero four five, or you can call us. 615-737-1045. If someone gave you tickets, would you go to the Florida game on Saturday? It's going to be 40-something degrees. Would you go if someone gave you tickets? And if yes, you could say, here's why. I want to go to a game. I don't normally get to go. And if no, tell us why. You can tweet us. You can call us. Uh, also, David Long said something about himself that Blaine is going to love. And I want to play Blaine this audio. He said it on Zoom today. So there's lots to get to, including your phone calls if you want to check in your tweets. Again, 615-737-1045. It's Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone.